Can we use a better word than anxiety? Anxiety, it's defined as an apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. So just within that definition, there are several emotions that we can all relate to. Have you ever been apprehensive, uneasy, or nervous? Of course you have. You're a human being. But what I'm noticing is that for many people, there is a certain section of emotional vocabulary that has been reduced. Reduced to the use of one word. And you guessed it. That word is anxiety. It's my belief that anxiety has become sort of a, a catch-all for a large category of words that could be used to better describe our emotional state. Words like agitated, annoyed, concerned, frustrated, hesitant, insecure, intimidated, nauseous, overwhelmed, restless, tense, timid, uneasy, upset, and worried. And that's just a small sampling of the words that I think are, are vanishing from, from many people's vocabulary. And none of this, like the reason I'm doing this episode, it's not about memorizing more words to impress or influence others. The why behind this try consists of four main reasons. And the first reason is each of those emotional states I listed, they're different, different in terms of what may have caused them, the experience of them, and what you can do to deal with, manage, or who knows, maybe even overcome them. So for example, if I'm nauseous before getting on a flight, it might be a good idea to eat some, some crackers, some saltines, take a few deep breaths, maybe get a drink of water to hydrate a bit before boarding. But if I'm feeling insecure before a job interview, I may want to remind myself of why I would be an asset to that particular company. But if I was feeling overwhelmed about having to move across town, you know what? I should probably reach out to a few friends who are willing to lend a helping hand. You know, find that buddy who has that truck and who bends at the knees. Yeah, call up that guy. Okay, so those examples. What I hope they do is point out that different circumstances are likely to produce different emotions. And by knowing what flavor of feeling is appearing, we will then be better able to choose the appropriate response. That first example, the, the flight one, that one was about taking care of a physical need. The job interview scenario, that was about using some positive self-talk. And that last one about moving, that was all about utilizing social connections to help get the difficult done. So that's my little summary of reason one. The second reason to use a different word than anxiety is because research shows that the more extensive, the more nuanced a person's emotional vocabulary, the better that person will be at regulating their emotions. As Daniel Siegel says, name it to tame it, end of quote. And by just naming or labeling our emotions, we are then able to create a more spacious relationship. We are able to see or to notice the distance between ourselves and that experience known as emotion. And it's within that space. That's the place where we're able to choose how to best move forward. And that all might sound nice. And I, and I get that the language probably sounds like some, some hippy-dippy, granola, psychobabble type-ish that a therapist in Boulder, Colorado might spew. So if those types of descriptions aren't your thing, just know that brain scan research, like the type Matthew Lieberman did at UCLA, shows us that by just labeling an emotion, when we do that, that will decrease the activity going on in the emotional centers of our brain, which in turn allows us to access the more logical or rational region of our brains known as the frontal lobe. To put it more concisely, emotional literacy, it makes up a huge part 
of emotional intelligence. Now onto reason three for using a different word. So many people associate the word anxiety directly and immediately to a disorder. A great deal of people believe that because they experience anxiety, they likely or undeniably have generalized anxiety disorder or social anxiety disorder. And if that's where you arrive, yeah, you, you know what's next. You need confirmation. From who? The expert known as Dr. Google. And after a quick consultation, you will confirm that initial disconcerting diagnosis. Yep, sorry to say, you have both of those disorders. And another more uh, terrifying one that you didn't even consider. All right, thankfully, the latest diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, known as the DSM-5, it does not include anything named a nauseous disorder, an insecure disorder, or an overwhelmed disorder. And just to be clear here, I am not saying that people don't have anxiety disorders. Not at all. As someone who's had and been diagnosed with a few of them through the years, I would never want someone to think that's what I'm saying. My point is that so many people mistakenly jump from the human experience of feeling anxious all the way over to the diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. And you can make this leap by way of self-assessment, an online quiz, or possibly the opinions of a friend or family member who just so happened to read an article online recently. That's all to say, see a professional before deciding you have a disorder. Okay, and finally, number four, using a different word than anxiety can be beneficial because we now live in a time where saying I'm anxious is used and accepted as a strong enough justification for ourselves and others to avoid any and all things that trigger the feeling of anxiety. But here's a bit of a spin on this one. If you talk to a physician, psychologist, psychiatrist, or psychotherapist worth their salt, and you explain to them that your avoidance is justified due to having an anxiety disorder, that person will, or they should, lean in and share with you something surprising. And that surprising news to many is that the technique known as exposure therapy is the most effective intervention for anxiety disorders. So this exposure therapy, what it is, it's the voluntary, incremental, and repeated exposure or confrontation with a feared situation, event, object, or memory. And this exposure work works because it breaks a pattern of fear and avoidance that anxiety encourages. Well, actually, anxiety like demands it. And how well does it work? The evidence-based behavioral practice reported that 60 to 90% of people have no symptoms or very mild symptoms of their original disorder after completing exposure therapy. The great poet Jay-Z put it well when he said this. But time don't go back, it goes forward. Can't run from the pain, go toss it. And there's an important thing to remember about anxiety. What it does is it mistakes discomfort for danger. And because anxiety and other flavors of fear are avoidance emotions, if we listen to them, if we allow them to call the shots, we will end up avoiding most, if not all, discomfort. And when we do that, that's an incredible disservice that we're doing for ourselves because we know that discomfort is where growth is most likely to occur. To wrap this episode up, I think we can do better. I think we can use a word 
that gives us a better understanding of what we're actually feeling. And with that, we'll better know what we can do about it. And by using a more accurate name, we can begin to tame the ferocity of that feeling. Additionally, we can use a word that doesn't make people immediately believe, determine, and then diagnose a disorder. And finally, we can use a word that doesn't encourage ourselves and others to avoid that which, when approached, can result in our greatest moments of growth. We can use a better word. 